Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Ghost Spider Groupies, the podcast dedicated to Gwen Stacy of Earth 65, also known as Spider Gwen and Ghost Spider, where we review her comics, discuss news, and give our opinions about all things Gwen 65. I'm Abigail. And I'm Pax. Uh, this week for you, we have another week Gwen update, uh, and we're looking at Across the Spider-Verse. Uh, a new trailer has dropped for the sequel to Into the Spider-Verse, and it's for Across the Spider-Verse part one and it's picking right back up with like miles and gwen which is really exciting and we're seeing the two interact again and it sort of cuts away it's a, it's a teaser more than anything um but it's been a few years um appears gwen and miles haven't seen each other for a bit they've both gotten a bit older gwen has a new character design and i've rented a bit about this in the past the ballet flats not a good choice for gwen's character nope i've always disagreed with that um not not a pro not a pro ballet not 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 a pro ballet gwen like gwen i think is in sort of more of a punk more of a rock lane more of a sort of counterculture type thing um she's a bit rough and ready and the sort of the polished traditional nature of ballerina stuff didn't really fit with her vibe that's really sort of more present in her comics and even in her character in the other spider gwen stuff um in into the spider-verse the film that is um and um so immediately i notice in the trailer Gwen has her Chuck Taylor type shoes that we see her wearing in the comics. So, um, very pleased for this. Much hype. Like I was, I was like, yeah, I'm looking forward to Across the Spider Verse. It's like the Spider Man film that I want. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm, um, but now I am looking forward to seeing Gwen in this film because I'm not going to be getting hung up on this weird ballerina thing now. Um, this one thing that was driving me insane. I'm feeling optimistic. I'm feeling centered. I'm moisturized. I'm in my lane. I'm thriving. All because Gwen Stacy has Converse in the new Spider-Man film. <laughs> um, yeah. There's only two types of people regarding Gwen and her shoes. The ones who support her Chuck Taylors, and then there's people who are wrong. Yes, people who are wrong. The people who are wrong have lost. Um, unless there's some kind of like subversion in the film, and this is like an evil version of Gwen Stacy who has Converse Chuck Taylors, and we have to find the real one. Um, unless that somehow happens, we're going to be fine. We're going to be we're going to be going to be plain sailing. I have a really good feeling. I will say this: they made a couple of other design changes that were neat or or not so neat. They uh, they gave her like wrist warmers. Like like things that go over like her hands and wrists, like like they've extended the webbing. I think it's fine. I think it's a cool look. Um, they've kept the sort of shaved side of head look, but it's longer on the one side with her hair. Um, but they've also given her like a little bit of that Gwen pool dip dye. Um, and I will say this: um, I'm not opposed to Gwen having like a pink dip dye. I think it's fine. I think it's cool. Um, it fits with her color scheme ish. But for Gwenpool, who who that is her thing. Like, and Gwenpool doesn't have an adaptation like this. Like, it feels like Spider Gwen has sort of copied it and taken it, and now sort of has ownership of it because she has a much sort of bigger presence and visibility with this look now. Yeah, because the whole Ghost Spider having pink tips thing that all started with Marvel Rising because of a creative license. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, it's fine. Like, if an artist thinks that like Gwen's gonna look better with like a pink sort of dip dyed hair, that's like, I know that's that's cool and fine and good. You know, I'm not about every character should have pink dip dyed hair. Peter Parker, pink dip dyed hair. When? Because I noticed more adaptations of Gwen have been using the pink tips. Like her Lego counterpart and her counterpart and Spidey and his amazing friends, they both got the pink tips. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just, I just think like, like Gwenpool already has such a hard time being confused for a Gwen Stacy that like this is another thing which is going to add to that. I just feel bad for her um, on that front. But yeah, no, like overall, seeing the design for the Across the Spider Verse Gwen, much hype. Shouted so loud that my family had to come check on me when I, I saw it. Uh, I was, yeah. Uh, it's the little things, you know. Um, just there's, there's no way to explain how much a fictional character's shoes means to me at this point in my life, but um, my emotional state appears to be hinging on it. Um, so yeah. <laughs> and I even made a tweet on the show's page where um, the first sentence was just nonsense letters. Right. And then I mentioned the chucks on the next sentence. Chucks. All of the chucks. The chucks. We're, 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 yeah. It's a uh... chuck supremacy, baby. For real, for real. Gwen Stacy wears Converse. Spread the word. Even that one time when I drew that mashup of Dr. Octagon, I gave her the Chucks. Oh, yeah, I remember that. That was really good. Yeah, love that art. Because, yeah, Chuck supremacy. For real, for real. Everybody should wear Converse, really. I mean, they're very comfortable. Good for sports. Good for general usage. Good for everything. But, yeah, across the Spider-Verse and, like, part one, then that means there's even more coming out. And plus, we got the Spider-Women spinoff. Yeah, uh, Spider Women is like it's still in it's still sort of in creative limbo. Like we haven't had any news about it, right? No. So yeah. unless if it's actually being folded into part two, then um, yes, yes, Spider Women is just in development. Yeah, because they, they have Jessica Drew announced for Across the Spider Verse. So to me, that feels like you know they're setting up Spider Women further. But I guess we'll have to see. Yeah. Um, like because the, the production of it does seem to be pretty pretty still at the moment. Right now, the only confirmed people for Across the Spider Verse Part One are uh, Haley Steinfeld, Shamik Moore, Jake Johnson, Oscar Isaac, and Issa Rae. Yeah, Issa Rae, excellent casting, excellent casting. Um, so yeah, let's uh, yeah. Uh, was was there anything else in our week one update, or was it just uh, Across the Spider Verse? Nope, it's only Across the Spider-Verse Part 1, which will be hitting theaters October 2022. Yeah, yeah, it's um, good good few weeks for the week went update, huh? <laughs> it's, um, yeah. it's all everyone's ever talking about right now. Yeah, no, like, uh, my, my my Twitter account, like, I've been laying the seeds for all of this stuff now, and people tagging me, or, like, following me, and being like, I am, like, I've been, I've been sort of, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's it's good to feel feel like Gwen is is back in business again, you know. And I have the art book for the first Into the Spider Verse, so you can bet your ass that if they make an Across the Spider Verse art book, oh, I'm getting that. The art looks gorgeous in it, like really good. Like um, the the different styles they're doing um, across different realities and stuff. Like they've said that they've tried to do it in such a way where it looks like a different artist has drawn each dimension differently which to me seems really cool i think chris anka is supposed to be on the team chris anka reality and then like a like a robbie rodriguez type reality and then like a you know like could you imagine if they did something to that effect um i think it would be really really cool because because they, they experimented a little with it with it a little bit as well in in the first film where they do different slightly different art styles for each of the different spider characters but they stay in the same dimension whereas for this it feels like they are going across the Spider-Verse, so we'll get to see more of that. October can't get here soon enough. It would have been April, but damn you, COVID. Yeah, yeah, COVID's, COVID's, yeah, I mean, COVID could still delay things further, I guess, but uh, yeah, I guess we'll see how things go. 
I think we should um before uh, we get lost, I think we should jump into Spider's Verses. Okay. Okay. So, um the comics we're reading, the the main thing we're talking about today is uh, the third trade of Mike Costa's Web Warriors comics. Um, for the last couple of episodes, um, the first one we looked at was the Secret Wars tie-ins that he did. And then more recently, we looked at the uh, Electroverse arc. Essentially, what this is, is sort of it's sort of like a sequel team-up series to the original Amazing Spider-Man, Spider-Verse comics. Um, what it does is it follows uh, an ensemble team of Spider-Noir and your on Spider Girl, Spider India, Spider UK, Spider Gwen, Mayday Parker, Spider Woman, and Spider Ham, and others. There's always others with this. And essentially, um, as they sort of fight different interdimensional threats across the Spider Verse, um, in the first arc, we saw them fight a sort of evil Norman Osborn trying to disrupt Battle Worlds and the whole Secret Wars event. In the first arc, we saw them fight a sort of organized group of electros that tried to sort of take the web of life and destiny and they were successful in that they trapped them in a big cage and now this arc was sort of picking up the pieces the, the scope is much wider there's sort of there's some interdimensional things that are going wrong and they're looking into them they lost a couple of people during the fight against the electros and like where have they been what have they been up to um it's the same creative team more or less uh we've got mike costa writing uh like i said and david baldion on art is very good and uh, a little bit of it is jay foskett mm-hmm. yeah jay foskett on a bit of the art in number 10 um yeah and it's a, it's a solid sort of creative team um to begin with, we're going to do a synopsis of what happens in this particular arc. We recommend reading this arc and and really reading the last arc as well because they're pretty well connected and um, so that you're all on the same page. But with the synopsis, we sort of we sort of bring everybody up to speed at once. So yeah, let's we're going to get into that then. Yep. So we begin. Karn informs Lady Spider that due to the multiversal shenanigans that went off during the fight with the Electros that took place in her home reality, that he can no longer find the path back. That means she cannot return home, and incidentally means Billy Braddock, Spider UK, and Mayday Parker, Spider Woman, can't be tracked after they were left stuck there too. The team catches up a bit. The presence of Octavia Otto has added new insights into Spider India's research. Gwen would like the team to visit a gig that her band is playing back on Earth-65. Spider Noir brings attention to a strand of the web of life and destiny that is on fire. The team portals to the affected reality, which happened to be Spider India, Pavatir Prabhakar's home dimension, Earth-50101. There they find a massive breakout of symbiotes across Pavatir City. Spider Noir reflects on how he's completely out of his depth compared to the other spiders. His home reality had its challenges, but certainly no apocalypse-level threats. Internally, he is terrified. Flashing back to Spider Noir's childhood in 1927 New York, we see him bullied and beaten by the other kids until a friendly group of his peers take him in. With his new friends, he was finally able to enjoy life a bit more, even though they often stole. He eventually confronted them about their thieving and the more malicious criminals it brought them into contact with, but they reacted poorly. They beat him and left him out on his own again. Noir took from this that he should never trust anyone and always be prepared. The team take on the symbiote forces which continue to spread and bond with new civilians as they fight. Anya has taken up the leadership role but struggles with micromanaging the team's actions. Gwen has the best instincts on the team and doesn't rely on or need to coordinate with the team as much as the other members do. 
Pavito speaks with his friend Mira Jane, who gives him the information he needs to defeat the symbiotes. He and Lady Spider head off to the source of their power, a powerful demon symbiote god. The god focuses his attention on Pavatia first, and the two grapple with each other, leaving an amulet exposed in the center of his mass. This leaves Lady Spider the opportunity to destroy it, thus rendering all of the symbiotes inert across the city and freeing the hosts. Noir reflects on how, as a scientist, Pavatia does not accept anything until he is given a rational explanation for it, leaving him uncomfortable with the ambiguity of their interdimensional missions. It's why he's always working on projects and how his home city could almost be overrun with symbiotes when he's not paying attention. Noir reckons that his fate will be getting killed in a similar event like this if he doesn't prepare himself, so he takes a piece of one of the symbiotes. Noir goes back to his home reality for some alone time and to check in. He finds that something is glitching with the dimension and newer technologies are randomly showing up in usage, like smartphones. On Earth 803, the home reality of Lady Spider that she cannot get back to, the Electro Army continues to be contained in the giant Faraday cage. A very alive Billy and Mayday keep watch in civilian disguise. They are concerned with the Faraday cage as it deteriorates over time and the consequences that spell if it should collapse. On Earth 138, a corporate dystopia home to Spider-Punk and his band, the Spider Slayers, who are playing a concert and broadcasting over open radio. They're shut down by Tombstone Records, led by Adrian Toombs the Vulture, who bought out the open radio channel. Corporate thugs back the CEO villain up, but Spider-Punk tells the crowd to stand their ground. Toombs tells the thugs to attack, and the two groups brawl. Moments later, Spider-Ham 2099 appears out of nowhere to assist. On Earth 982, Mayday Parker's home reality, Anya Corazon takes time away from Loom World to catch up on homework at the Parker's home, with the spider-powered Uncle Ben even helping out. The reason being that Loom World has become too disruptive for study as the different personalities there clash. Lady Spider grows increasingly frustrated, particularly with Spider-Ham, who in a misunderstanding ate her lunch. Spider-Punk portals right into Loom World in the middle of the altercation, dropping off Spider-Ham 2099, unsure of how he ended up in his own reality. He greets each of the spiders and is particularly chuffed to see Spider-Gwen, whose Earth-138 counterpart was perhaps the most influential artist of a generation before her, quote, epic death. Spider-Punk takes the Web Warriors back to Earth-138 and shows them the interdimensional rift that threw Spider-Ham 2099 into his reality. It's as if the two totems' dimensions are beginning to merge. Dr. Doom 2099 seizes the opportunity and launches a full invasion using his duckbots. The Web Warriors are stumped as to how to best the cartoon logic levels of invincibility that the duckbots possess, except for Spider-Ham. He eventually decides on using the wind-up, in which he swings his arm as if to punish, creating a powerful tornado. The winds engulf Duck to Doom 2099 and his army, sending them well back onto their side of the interdimensional rift, contained in the tornado still. The rest of the team are stunned by this impressive display. On Loom World, Octavia Otto and Karn consider the status of the web. Karn's ability to monitor it has become greatly diminished since the fight with the Electros. Octavia speculates that this might not all be on Karn and that the web itself is sick and is in need of a doctor. She offers a solution where she can pilot one of Karn's arms to retrieve Earth-803 from the tangled threads so they can retrieve Billy and Mayday. Spider-Ham's moment of triumph is rudely interrupted as he is squashed by two giant mecha robots, one themed after Spider-Man and the other Dr. Octopus, having fallen in from another dimension. 
while Ham recovers, the rest of the team elect to fight the Dark Ark Mecha. On Earth 803, Mayday prepares a massive batch of hundreds of finger sandwiches, the only thing that can fit through the Faraday cage to feed the hungry Electro population inside. Billy makes regular broadcasts trying to reach out across the web and signal their location to the others. In trying to manipulate the web on Loomworld, Octavia disturbs the convergence that the web warriors are fighting in, throwing them separately across the multiverse. Khan and Octavia successfully reach Billy and Mayday though, re-establishing the connection with Earth-803. Gwen, Spider-Ham 2099, and the Doc Ock Mecha are thrown into Spider-Ham's cartoon reality, while Spiders Noir, India, and Ham are thrown into Noir's home reality, still undergoing the strange time-warping effects. The restoration of Earth-803 on the web of life and destiny caused a minor earthquake strong enough to disrupt the Faraday cage and break the electrodes free. Mayday, who is mid-finger sandwich delivery, rushes civilians away from the scene as the hangry supervillains storm across the streets. The Dr. Octopus Mecha, completely taken aback by this new cartoon reality, heads off to attack the city and get materials to build accessories. Ham2099 says they should pursue and offers Gwen a piggyback as he flies after the robot. At the city, Mecha Arc is confronted by the Scarvengers defending their dimension. On Noir's home dimension, he explains to Pavateer and Ham about parts of his dimension were being displaced by another with newer technology and Oscorp buildings everywhere. Pavateer accuses Noir of hiding things and the need for him to trust them in situations like this. Noir cedes the point and asks him what should they do, to which Pavateer says they should take down the new Osborne here before moving on to their interdimensional dilemma. Lady Spider, Anya, and the Spider Mecha find that they are trapped on Spider-Punk's home Earth without devices to portal out. Anya suggests Lady Spider use her technological know-how and parts from the Mecha to construct new web watches. Octavia realizes that retrieving the 803 strand from Loomworld has only thrown more Earths into disarray and doesn't know where to begin fixing the tangle. Karn starts with a big process of going through what's left of the reachable web to find the others have been thrown astray. Octavia heads out to start gathering more spider totems in spite of the web's technical difficulties to reinforce Mayday and Billy against the Electros. Still on 803, the Electros catch up to Mayday and zap her by surprise, but she finds that the charge is relatively weak. After days in the Faraday cage and having missed out on the finger sandwiches, the Electros are too malnourished to present a real threat individually, though their large numbers still pose an ongoing danger. On Noir's broken reality, Spider-Noir, India, and Ham fight their way up Oscorp Tower to Harry Osborne himself, who reacts quite positively to their presence. He introduces himself as the Spider-Man of his reality, and is pleased to find others like him, even offering advice on their current predicament. Osborne speculates that the web watches are a crude way of traversing the multiverse, and that they are potentially the cause of all the mayhem. Osborne has an epiphany and realizes how the web watches could be weaponized. He reveals his true, villainous nature, quickly knocking out both Spider-India and Noir, but not before Ham discreetly escapes. Eventually, Octavia arrives with a full Spider-Army in tow on Earth-803, having picked both Spider-Gwen and the Spider-Powered Uncle Ben along the way. They are soon joined by Spider-Girl, the Spider-Mecha, and Lady Spider, who found them in an interdimensional workaround to move out of the reality they were trapped in. Battery, the ultra-powerful lead Electro that riffs off the supreme intelligence, eyes up the mecha, however. He rushes the robot and possesses it. 
This provides an overwhelming advantage for the Electros, and the spiders don't possess the force to destroy it, so Uncle Ben comes up with a plan to take it down using a particular piece of technology on Loomworld. While there, Harry Osborn shows up with Noir and Paveteer incapacitated, vowing to destroy the whole web of life and destiny for ruining his reality. Karn indicates that this won't be a problem as he hasn't eaten in some time, preparing to take on Harry Osborn alone. Ben grabs the tech he needs, the headset that the battery used to assimilate minds into his consciousness, and the two defeated spiders heading back to Earth 803. Betting on the arrival of a completely new type of conscience into the battery's mind, Uncle Ben sets up the headset on himself and swings at the giant supervillain. Mayday and Gwen try to stop him to no avail. Ben assimilates into the battery, and his body falls to the floor lifeless. The battery pauses for a moment, and then ceases the fighting by calling off all the electrodes, reformed. On Loomworld, Osborn defeats Karn using the energies of the Web of Life and Destiny and begins attacking it directly. Karn calls back to the Web Warriors on Earth 803 to let them know, but can't open up any new portals. However, with the battery's powers, Gwen's drumming, and Spider-Punk's guitar, the team were able to create a new resonance which allowed them to restore their access to the web. Incidentally, this sends a feedback loop to the web which stuns Osborn. Spider-Ham makes it to Loomworld first and dispatches the villain. Meanwhile, Spider-UK and the Battery arrange to send everyone back home and get the Electros fed finally. The now much larger network of web warriors sets about repairing the web, finding less destructive tech to traverse the multiverse with and training up new recruits. Together, they vow that when new interdimensional challenges will arise, the web warriors will be there to meet them. And that's, that's our arc. Yep, that's the end of Web Warriors. Now, it might sound like there's a lot going on, and it's quite confusing, and like there's several different threads to follow, and that's because, I mean, that's because a lot of it is, it's, it's, yeah, because it is, I think, in a few places. (laughs) I felt like that that this whole arc, it kind of seemed pretty much episodic, because there's a, a, well, procedural episodic, because... There's a different thing going on every issue. Yeah, the first couple of issues feel very, like you say, very episodic. I think it starts to sort of connect in quite a bit towards the end. Once they split off into different places, it starts feeling a bit more like it's an arc. But yeah, like there's a, it's very, there's a lot going on here in terms of just individual things happening and not not necessarily connected to each other. And it's not in a bad way. Like I think it's helped, I would say, by the art. Because what they do in the art that's really clever is they start changing the way places look, especially towards the end. They'll have like, so like when they get stuck in the cartoon reality, everybody's a cartoon. When they get stuck in Spider-Noir's reality, everybody's grimdark. You know, uh, when they're on Loom World, there's a different kind of coloring. Like they use that and that allows you as a reader to follow it a lot better when you're reading the comic than when you do like listening to it. And this is still all David Baldeon doing the art. Yeah, David Baldeon doing work. He is, he's good. He's a good artist. And his kind of art, which is kind of cartoony anyway, fits the vibe here. Because a lot of this is just really wacky. A lot of this is just really camp. And his kind of art, I don't want to call it camp, but his kind of art isn't like like realistic or brutal or edgy it's it's a very sort of friendly sort of big-eyed type character art right and it works for this it it, it, it's um uh yeah like i i i really like 
I enjoy particularly this arc more than the other two because it feels like Mike Costa finally got into a rhythm with it here. Particularly just enjoy reading this art just because it's fun to read. There's a lot of fun stuff happening. Like and yeah, I like that I like it for that really. Yeah. But it's kind of disappointing that it was cut off at number eleven that um this creative team wasn't given more to do beyond. Yeah, like I think there's a couple of things which like feel like they didn't have enough time to breathe, like uh Spider Noir and his Venom symbiote and um like that he just doesn't use like he picks it up they make a point about him like needing to trust more and then like it's not mentioned again and then octavia's spider army uh, like they're only seen in this arc and then her army is never used again right like you you think like that you know they would be used to, maybe that's more of a continuity thing like they should have been that should have come up in spider geddon a bit more maybe well she was there but her members weren't yeah, right, of course. Uh, but yeah, it's um, yeah, like I felt like, and, and especially some of like the, the some of the issues in this, like I thought, um, could have been adapted into like a larger arc. Like I felt like the thing with um, Spider Harry Osborn, right? Spider powered CEO Harry felt like that could have been an arc of his own. Like he could have that that villain could have carried his own arc, but instead he gets like the B plot of the end couple of issues here. Yeah, I felt like that. Um... Because um, was Web Warriors up for cancellation, and then that's why they had to wrap it up quickly. I think that's what happened. I don't think they intended to stop at eleven issues. Like, I think I think Mike Costa probably could have carried on after this. You get the sense that they would have they would have wanted to like. I feel like it would have been better as well for Spider Geddon to have like Web Warriors running right from like what the end of Spider Verse right through up to Spider Geddon, and that sort of feeling like a nice sort of bridge between the two. But we didn't get that and yeah i guess it's one of those things you know but but i i think yeah i think i think on its on its own this arc still stands reasonably well with the cancellation still well at least um mike costa still got the uh, opportunity to uh stay on marvel even though his work on venom is somewhat a little bit divisive oh yeah i mean <laughs> i mean we we had enough to talk about today but but costa's venom i mean yeah we'll be here for um, another, another, another few more hours and if we start talking about that no that's something for the venom site to discuss yeah we'll leave that to those 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 guys um but yeah so um web warriors think overall what like costa got yeah i mean he got what like 16 16 issues 16 issues of of web warriors comics so this is not um this is not something to blink at like this is um this is a fairly substantial layering on of the Spider-Verse sort of type stuff that was set up uh, by Slot and Costa sort of built on it here with these. Um, and we, we see that he sort of establishes this this here and, and sort of tries to grow the characters as well. And uh, David Baldion got to do 11 issues straight. Yeah. Because usually there would be, you know, um, a guest artist just to do like to take a breather. But he got to do 11 straight. Yeah. Good for David Baldion um yeah yeah david baldion and working on stuff that got cancelled too soon name a better combo um <laughs> ropx factor but yeah uh yeah it's good it's good it's a good book it's a good book i enjoyed it i enjoyed it did we do we want to talk about individual characters and stuff yeah so um the star of our show gwen once again she's still perkier than when latour wrote her yeah there's a particular caption in this where spider was like Gwen is way too happy. She is so happy, like something to that effect, like unreally happy. And I'm thinking, no, she's not. She's 
She's got stuff to deal with. Like, she's got angst. He said it's not natural. Yeah, like, it, it makes zero sense. Like, I, d- I don't know where Mike Costa has gotten this from, right? Because if you read any Gwen comic to this point, like, because there's several Gwen comics at this point as well, that is not the impression you'd come away with. And I think it's just like, because she has, like, white and pink in her outfit, that, like, that is the kind of, like, vibe you can get sometimes. But no, absolutely not. Spider-Gwen is not the perkiest person in the room as much as Mike Costa wants that to be the case. No, even though this does take place before Spider-Women, logically, she was still not happy during pre-Spider-Women. Yeah, I mean, you could read Edge of Spider-Verse number two, and she's clearly got stuff that she needs to work through. Um, but yeah, like there's, and, but, but also at the same time, it's clear that Spider-Gwen is like Costa's favorite. Like, Spider-Gwen has this sort of, like, like whenever they get in a fight and they talk about, you know, who's doing what, they're like, and Spider-Gwen is doing great. And also, she doesn't need the team. Like, and, and, and I think there's maybe two or three points, maybe four even, where this is specifically out loud just said, Spider-Gwen is, is very good and she doesn't really need a team to be good at fighting bad guys. And they, and they say something to that effect a few times. And look, don't, be, don't get me wrong. I appreciate the favoritism. <laughs> I want the favoritism for my fave. But, but also, like, is she that competent? Is, is she? Well, um, like, she? Well, she's raw talent. Like, uh, she never... Remember, according to Cindy65, she doesn't know how to throw a proper punch. And according to the handbook, she learned all of her fighting from kung fu movies. Yeah, I'm trying to reconcile the sort of the amateurish sort of fighting of Gwen, more generally speaking, versus sort of Mike Costa being like, Gwen is like great instincts. She's got excellent sort of sense of the fight and that. And you're like, you're trying to reconcile those two things. And I think it's kind of hard sometimes. Like, I like Costa's Gwen like most of the time, like reading it. But there's a couple of moments where it's like, just maybe not super realistic to the sort of the more everyday life of this character in her own comics well i guess in fairness for um her perkiness earlier on because she did uh score a gig with the band and then made the flyers yeah i like that and you know like i think i think more broadly speaking especially like in getting like a sort of like rebel name like i like the fact that she vibes with the punks and that um uh like i think i think he, i think he gets that well like i like i like how she really gets on with spider punk I think that's, I think that's really great. Yeah, two musical spiders. Yeah, I think I think I think Costa's like dead on, like in in a in a sort of punk, in the punk dystopia that um that all exists in, right? Um, that the Gwen there would be this super influential, super mega hit. Like I think that makes sense to to sort of Gwen's kind of character. And then how her Earth one three eight counterpart is dead already. That was rough. That was a rough. That was a rough thing to find out, especially the sort of like way that that um they have spider punk just kind of drop it and and then they move on and Gwen's like hold on wait one wait just just pause a moment but she doesn't quite get that um as long as she wasn't thrown off the bridge yeah as long as she wasn't i i hope she wasn't i imagine it felt like she had more agency in this death like it was less egregious than other gwen stacy deaths um yeah and and they do um they do this thing uh, like costa's done this before he did this in the secret wars tie-in where gwen's drumming just saves the day like it just they cook gwen's drums up to a set of like technology or speakers or something and she plays drums at the right speed and then it like it dispatches a villain or saves the day or something like they did this in the secret wars thing versus venom and they're doing it again here to travel the multiverse um like 
I, I I guess this is supposed to be a riff on Scott Pilgrim versus the world where music saves the day. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, music does save the day on a couple of occasions here. I like Gwen getting to jam out with Spider-Punk, though, so, like, it completely gets a pass from me. But, like, I couldn't help but notice, like, this is Costa doing the same thing with the same character in in the sort of this similar run, same team-up that he's been using for a while now. So, like, I don't know if that's if that's uh, derivative or just, um, I don't know, good setup and payoff. I don't know. Um it's um yeah, it's one of those things. But yeah, like overall, Gwen is good. She doesn't quite have the amount of spotlight that she got in the last one, I don't think. No, because I think um in here everyone got their sort of uh fifteen minutes of fame here equally. Yeah, it felt it felt better distributed. I think Noir gets I think Noir is more the perspective like he he's probably gets the most here. And also, you know, um Octavia also got a boost here compared to last arc. Yeah, because because Octavia's uh, cost is OC basically, so so she gets this whole sort of she gets gets, gets a lot of play. I think I read in the uh, letter from the staff where coming from David Baldion, he says um he has a vote for a Mike Costa Octavia auto book. Oh, that's that's cute. That'd be cute. That'd be nice. Yeah. So she's like. See, we we get we get a bit more of the Doctor Octopus in her, I guess. In this, like, she makes a lot of very sort of grand plans to do things, and she's very ambitious with like her ability to repair things, even even to the extent that like they disrupt the web of life and destiny, retrieving Mayday and Billy, which was quite interesting. I think there's a, a sort of a nice push and pull between like Octavia's ambition, intelligence versus her like not accidentally destroying half of reality in the process <laughs> no because i think octavia's ambition that's supposed to be reflective of the usual autos grand schemes yeah absolutely i love that one panel where she goes the weapon life and destiny is like ill and it needs a doctor and then she like but she she's not that kind of doctor right yeah like it zooms in on her and like she pulls the visor down like and it's got the cap like it's got the speech for like uh, and it needs a doctor and it's like emphasized it's like oh yeah dr octopus i'm here i'm ready for it i love, I love that and then when um remember her first attempt at fixing the web she was like we did it yeah they, they sort of they mistakenly believe they fixed everything for a, for a bit until they realized that actually they made it worse um yeah it's one of those one of those things um yeah but then you know later down the line you know octavia uses most of her panel time to go on a uh, search for more spider totems for her army yeah that was neat there's there's a lot of really like funny moments where they're like oh you've sent us to a world full of water and it's like oh no you've sent us to a world full of bread and it's like <laughs> sort of the escalating technical difficulties like the world where everyone's made of bread well water and bread do not go together yeah, that was quite funny. I'm not gonna lie, that was a really good gag. Um, there was a lot of really like funny jokes and bits in this, like that I I really enjoyed. Um, there was also the reality where she first visits like proper to meet new recruits when they were making a movie. Yeah. Oh, that was really funny. Like that was great. I always like where they. I'm reading it and I'm like, this is a new Spider Gwen. This is a new Spider Man. Look at these designs. They're great. And then it's like cut. And you're like, oh, it's 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 another world where spider people are fictional, um, and uh, but then they recruit the Gwen anyway, um, and it's like, yeah, oh, that was funny, um, yeah, and I think yeah, there was there was a bunch of really like funny parts to this. I think this is aside from Octavia, the funniest thing in this that really stuck out to me was the bit about how the two mechas, the Doctor Octopus one and the Spider one. 
we're just really obsessed with having accessories <laughs> um like riffing off those toys and stuff like like i need to destroy the city so i can build more accessories and stuff and they kept coming back to this bit and for some reason it really tickled me like how stuck on this that they were like that that was their entire personality and the materials that uh, make up their suits called fontanium yes yeah like 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 his, his shock and horror at destroying this cartoon reality and going the fontanium isn't in the buildings that i need to build my accessories like i just cracked me up like there were legitimate moments in this i remember first time reading this and just laughing out loud at it and not a lot of comics get that out of you um and and there's a few moments in web warriors which are legitimately just just really funny moments that are earned and like built up by the whole scene that are not just like quips or something like proper jokes that are done with like the art and the sort of the visual nature of it like they just they just land really well um like i i don't have cost as in comedy type comics before but like i feel like if he had really sort of lent into it he could have produced like a full comedy comic with the web warriors like got on all of the interdimensional stuff just do just do spider people having really funny moments together because there's a bunch of them in this that I, I just really enjoyed oh and remember when mechamorph spidey was explaining what his suit runs on lady spider couldn't understand what he was saying because she said that he comes from a world that's designed for children yeah, yeah, like he has this whole spiel he gives off. The whole, he, he like it's a full thing. He builds it up, and then like Lady Spider just underlines it all and says, um, "This is all child speak. This isn't, this isn't relevant." And and like you say, um, yeah, like like it's yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's it's uh, that that was like I felt bad for him, like because clearly he was the powerhouse. Like he was he was he was lifting a lot of like because they couldn't get leopard on. They couldn't get leopard on. I, I, is there, was there a reason for that? I guess maybe Costa didn't feel like using Takuya. Yeah, maybe not. I think I think all of the stuff with the mecha stuff that he does is only because he used those like toy mecha type things as opposed to bringing in the Japanese live action Spider Man. So I guess it works from that perspective. But yeah, like, but once once they bring it in, um, like he's clearly way more powerful than like everybody else, right? And then then but but he has like the mind of a child so it's like yeah he has toy logic um unfortunately um so it, it's sort of it's an inter- interesting dichotomy that uh, those i feel like they could have explored that more if they've used that character again i think there actually is a mini about the megamorph spidey world yeah is it is it this particular mecha uh, i think it's other mechas yeah cause is it that jed mckay one Oh, no, not the attack on Avengers. Hold on, just let me uh, look it up. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, it's Earth is called Earth 50810. Oh, right, nice. Yeah, I know, I thought that was that was fun. Like, I thought, like, just just, just for jokes, like, the idea of having this really, really powerful thing, but it's it's a toy, and it's really obsessed with toy stuff, just just to me is really funny. Um, yeah, like the Mecha, Mecha Spidey. Bring back the Mecha Spider. I'm I'm down for that. Oh, yeah, the Mega they're actually a series of one shots because there's Captain America, there's a Spider Man, there's Ghost Rider. That's that's that's, that's funny. I, I I haven't read those all the way back in 2005. Oh right, okay. Are they bringing them in from that then? I guess they are. It's interesting. I haven't read those though, so I I can't speak to them very well. But yeah, I I thought the concept here was fun. It was fun. Yeah. I think uh, let's move on to, you know, another prominent spider that gets also a bit of fair play here. Uh, Spider-Punk, yeah. who also happens to be the Hobie Brown of 138. 
Yes. Yeah. Um, anarchy. Yeah. We got we got whole issue about anarchy here. Um, I I enjoy just the classic proper like a proper true punk setup of having people trying to play music over open radio and fighting a big sort of jackbooted corporation to do it. Just enjoyed that. Just yeah, it's good. It's good stuff. I know how fond you are about the anarchy packs. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. No, I enjoyed those. Those good. Those good. Um, I enjoyed having Spider Punk here. I enjoyed him having like these little these little side rents where he rents about like like government power and corporations and stuff. Um, I, I enjoyed the bit where he takes out his angst on on the Spider Mecha by drumming against it, saying, "You know, this is how I express my angst over corporate things like you because you're a toy and stuff." Like is like yeah. Like I enjoyed all of that. It was great. Spider Punk and this is great. Um, I need to read more Spider-Punk stuff because I really enjoyed him here. Well, he appears again in Edge of Spider-Geddon number one. Yes. Yeah, I saw that. I've been meaning to read that issue. Um, but yeah, like Spider- Spider-Punk here is like solid, solid character. I am. That's the kind of British Spidey we need. Um. And does he seem to uh, cuss a little bit more than Gwen or equally as Gwen? Yeah. Yeah. Costa doesn't get the Gwen cussing as much. But yeah, Spider Punk here absolutely he has he has him swearing a lot. I think it's the it's the counterculture thing to do. I think, um, yeah. yeah. But yeah, when you said that this is your British Spidey, um, you know, Spider Punk was actually intended to be Spider UK. Yeah, but they they couldn't let us have a good time. They couldn't. They they had to force the Union Jack on us. <laughs> yeah, because the story was that Dan Slot like he had Spider UK specifically designed like we see him, and then Olivier Coipel took matters into his own hands, drawing Spider Punk the way that we see him, and then when Dan Slot got the design back, yeah, he thought that Spider Punk was great, but then he was like, "Where's Spider UK?" Because Spider Punk was supposed to be Spider UK. See, I the. The Dan, Dan Slot trying to force the British agenda on us is not. It's not. It's not cool. It's not cool. People shouldn't have to listen or see the British at all. Um, you know, as uh, if if, if they, it's 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 no good. To those British. It's um nah nah. Spider Punk is is acceptable. He's into anarchy. He's fine. Spider UK is a. I I spoke a lot about this in the last last episode. I I'm gonna. I I don't. It's you. Yeah, yeah. I've I've said my piece. I've said my piece. Yeah, punk was supposed to be UK, but you know, Dan Slot said no. So um, he like he made Quaypel like a redraw all of the stuff where Spider Punk was in. Like now, Spider UK was in his place, but they kept Spider Punk to be another character because Dan Slot loved the design. Yeah, that's um, Dan Slot ruining my day. Britain isn't real. Britain isn't real. It's not. It's not a real place. Don't listen. Don't listen to him. Um, but yeah, Spider Punk, very good. Yeah, and Spider UK is dead. So, well, he. Well, yeah, he is now. This is true. Yeah, that's um real shame. Um, uh, he was like, um, he's he's in this though. He's alive in this arc. He comes back ish, sort of for a bit. Yeah, but he kind of takes a back seat in this arc compared to the first one. Yeah, he had a sort of big role, like, um, for a couple of arcs there, and then he finds Earth 8 or 3, and he's stuck there, and he's vibing there, and he's like, yeah, people here are kind of British, you know? I'm into it. Um, yeah, because I feel like yeah, our main Brit spider here is a uh, Lady Spider. She's the main Brit now. 
Yeah, um, yeah, that was a really strange moment where, like, Spider India was saying to so, like, you represent English colonial power, and that gives you power over this Indian demon god. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what does that mean? Real strange thing to put in there? Like, I didn't... Real weird moment. But yeah, he's excessively English in this. Um, and, uh, yeah, um, there's... Um, that that whole reality is very English. Uh, like the finger sandwiches, I don't even eat those. Yeah, that was. Uh, but uh, they they had some those some cool outfits which were like like Mayday had a Spider Woman themed civilian outfit like with her colors and stuff. Um, but yeah, like Mayday and Billy Spider UK that is are vibing on Earth eight hundred three trapped there trying to maintain this Faraday cage full of electrodes that like eventually breaks, and this sort of t- sort of takes it place like mostly in the background until eventually all the spiders come to meet them and help them against the electros but i think basically like because billy found his home like that was his struggle like that was his narrative was like finding the place where he felt like he belonged and apparently what that place was was this extremely misogynistic old-fashioned colonial era earth 803 that's where he felt most at home um and um that that's that's why he gets less panel time i guess from from here on out um is that, is that the conclusion we're coming to because well, maybe um maybe costa felt like that lady spider was already the main british one and then i don't know just um maybe having to share the spotlight it's probably not in his agenda yeah you'd be careful you can't have more than one british person around things get dangerous um especially if they're traveling places yeah they're there yeah it's um yeah uh Got to, got to be careful about that. So um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, I I I I mean, I like Lady Spider. Lady Spider is cool. I, I Lady Spider gets passed because she has the cool robot arms and this cool design. Yeah, I think it's just her being steampunk in general. Yeah, she's got a fun steampunk vibe. I like the sort of like the really sort of like she has really high sort of high class sort of type dialect that Costa gives her. It's really interesting to sort of hear her argue with Spider Ham, like calling him a hog and stuff because he ate her lunch is curry chicken a thing like um popular in the uk oh yeah we eat loads of curry here it's very mild like in spice but we eat a lot of curry in the uk like they invented tikka masala in like scotland um yeah there's a whole litany of curries that have been invented specifically for the weak british palate um and we eat a lot of it yeah because since lady spider said that um her curry chicken is the one thing that gives her joy while being trapped Mm-hmm. This is true. This is true. Curry is the only thing that gives me joy on this island. Literally nothing else. It's just the curry. So yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah. No, it's I. I would say accurate. I don't know if it's accurate for that time period, but but absolutely for for the average British person. Um, actually, there was a funny joke with that. I'm trying to remember what it was. It's was the effect of like like Spider Ham was like I thought it I thought it might have expired because it says May on the side, and it's like it's like no, that's my name. Or something to that. I, I that was another funny, yeah. It's a lot of funny gags in this. And then he's like, "Why do you think I made Octavia eat it first? Yeah, there, there, was, there was there was a whole scene which was just Lady Spider and Spider Ham fighting over the fact that he'd eaten her lunch and the sort of the blame being placed upon who should be at fault for this, right? Like it was it was a whole thing and it's just, it's just like a lot a lot of this like just just doesn't make the synopsis because it doesn't really have like material consequences but it's just yeah there's a lot of really funny gags in this i really cannot emphasize you have to read this comic to really get the vibe of what i'm trying to communicate 
And then remember at the end when Octavia's army was brought in, Ham says that um they should all label their food if they don't want it to get eaten. And then May said that that rule probably wouldn't work. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. That was a good payoff. That's a good payoff. May is a bit traumatized there. Because <laughs> I think the the one thing that gave her joy, yeah, it's gone. The one thing, the one thing that can give a British person joy, <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah because of him but you know speaking of he actually got more play here i liked spider ham in this i i like i think he was really fun like the, the the sort of the slow reveal that spider ham is the most powerful member of the web warriors i think it's because of those cartoon physics thing because remember like he takes something from the flash's playbook with the arm tornadoes yeah that was cute i love that it was great i liked um yeah, like he was just sort of like he's he's the most powerful web warrior, Spider Ham, um, and then like Spider Ham twenty ninety nine being like, oh my days, it's my idol, it's this, that's the Spider Ham I've heard so much about, um, and you're like, really? And it's like, yeah, really, and it's like, yeah, it's um, it was it was cute, it was it was it was nice, yeah, and I uh, I I liked a lot of Spider Ham's things in this, like you get, I liked uh, I liked how like. Harry Osborne kept making these horrible like bacon jokes, like these really bad bacon jokes. Um, and it was just set up for Spider-Ham to sort of just come back at him with like, you know, I heard all the bacon jokes you were telling. Um, and uh, yeah, like he's just sort of like Spider-Ham's very petty. Like he's written as a sort of a very petty type character who's like keeping track of who's got a grudge against him, um, which sort of makes sense because he's a pig surrounded by people who are definitely not, they don't really look anything like him um or like and are constantly making fun of him so it makes sense that he sort of would be defensive all of the time um yeah he's he's a he's a fun character like he's just yeah i really enjoy it when they have spider ham in this it's just like this is the only place that you could use him in this kind of environment i think is was with this kind of context and genre and stuff so yeah so you know when y'all read it just have john mulaney's voice in your head when reading ham's dialogue yeah john mulaney good spider ham it's good great casting great casting um uh yeah uh who else we got we got uh spider girl we've got anya Corazon. yeah she tries you know to be a good leader but you know everyone just ignored her yeah like i still feel like she didn't get enough panel time at the end of this i don't like she has that nice moment with uncle ben um but yeah not a lot of not a lot of time for anya she needs more needs more needs more comic give more comic to spider girl please well, she's in Black Widow right now, but... Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, this is true. This is true. I mean, she has a supporting role in an ongoing now. But, like, I mean, like, you look at the amount of panel time Spider-UK got for being leader versus the amount of time that Spider-Girl gets for being leader. And there's there's definitely a discrepancy there, I think. And, yeah, I, I feel like she, she should have... Like, I feel like she should have been the protagonist here, like, as the sort of the young, very keen, enthusiastic member of the Web Warriors, like more of this should have come from her perspective, I think. But yeah, I think having everyone ignore her during battle plan Acapulco, I think they're all thinking, you know, who died and made her the leader. Right. I mean, and quite literally, she is leader because Spider UK dipped and potentially died and isn't around. So yeah, it's a bit of a tricky situation, I guess, for, for her to inherit. Because um, Noir even pointed out that even though Anya's got guts, she tries to take on too much. Yeah, yeah, I think she does. And I think like that's an interesting thing they could have played around with more, maybe like leadership burnout and stuff like that. Also her age, like she's really young, like she's at school still doing homework and stuff, like how does that factor in? But they don't get into much of that really. Um, and I think that's a shame. Like there was a lot to explore there that they did not. Uh, I think um, 
probably the price to pay for bringing other spiders into the fray. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the amount of panel time is squeezed across the board here for the amount of new ones they have. Because earlier you mentioned that Noir got much more panel time here than the last time. Yeah, he did. Like uh, Noir gets, uh, yeah, he he has he has quite a few different moments. Like his his internal narrative. I think he gets the most captions. Like his internal dialogue and stuff gets the most captions. Um, like we hear a lot of his thoughts. Like the whole thing he does where he psychoanalyzes everybody on the team. Like we mentioned last last thing. Like we still have that here and and uh, more so here. Like we have flashbacks to his childhood, why he doesn't trust, etc. Um, so yeah, we get we get a lot of we get a lot of Spider Noir in this. And and he has a little arc where he learns to trust Spider India. Yeah, and at least he you know he catches a break this time and not being called a racist. Yeah, he doesn't get called a race. He doesn't get called a racist in the in this arc. So um, that was that was a win for him. Um, actually, he has a really interesting thing where he talks about um empiricism versus being scientific like he's he's looking at spider india's approach versus his approach and he is an empiricist just believes anything he sees right like this is whole thing like he he looks for things and then he sees them and he notes them and he and he believes them right like where he, he's like the scientific method is different it's like you don't believe anything until you find a reason for why it's happening which is why he's like this is why spider india is like just working so much and like working over time and he's missing stuff and he's like you know like He's, he's sort of comparing notes there and then eventually he sort of i think he finds a sort of like he eventually agrees to work with spider india after working through all these trust issues and these sort of philosophical differences that he's thought way too much about and i, I like that for him i like that he yeah. makes a friend in, in poverty but with noir's empiricism because um remember he's a journalist and you know journalists are supposed to fact check things but you know noir just believes it right away I mean, I like I like to think there's a journalistic method. It's just not it's not the same. I think he's a I mean he's still a decent journalist as far as his comics concerned, right? Like he's not a bad not bad at it, right? No, I think it's just because yeah, this is in the end, it's all stemmed from his trust issues. Yeah, and they they cover that with him like getting pulling in with that sort of bad gang of kids that beat him up in the end, like and that sort of that messed him up. And he has to sort of get over that. So yeah, he has a little little arc there, and we actually see quite a bit of Noir's world. We see him without the mask on quite a bit, which we didn't have in the previous two arcs, really. Which is sort of kind of throws you a bit because you remember he's actually a Peter Parker, um, and uh, yeah, like it's uh, yeah, it's, it's an in, in, interesting character, Spider Noir. Yeah, it was nice that he got along with Spider India. Yeah, it is. It is absolutely. Um, who who gets play here as as well? Like he has that whole, sort of whole first issue in number six yeah because it implies that a pavateer hasn't visited home in a while because he was too busy tinkering yeah like he's so obsessed working on these projects and trying to figure stuff out on loom world like he's not comfortable with the ambiguity as spider noir says so he's working on all these projects so what happens is like the equivalent of a symbiote invasion breaks out in his home city and there's like yeah like they have sort of like a more sort of mystic type venom thing going on they believe that was demons yeah, wasn't sure how they presented this. It was a strange. I I don't I don't know. Um, like like yeah. involving an amulet. Yeah, they 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 make a lot of the spider indie stuff more like mystical, which was I think. Yeah, I think that's cool. Yeah, a contrast to you know Pavatier is a scientist. He doesn't really believe in magic. Yeah, and then they saw actually like I was looking it up like they actually name like they were like like people from the Bhakti movement have become venom people like they've been possessed by demons and stuff and i'm like 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 that's a real like the Bhakti movement's like a real 
it's a real thing in India. Like it felt it felt strange that they were like doing stuff like that. And then they had that whole spiel where like Spider India where the poverty is like, I need to bring Lady Spider along because she's English and she has English colonial power here, which will give her power over the demon thing. Like between that and having that weird moment where it was like, these are religious fanatics that we have to fight. Like it's, it's, it feels uncomfy. It feels real uncomfy. It was a strange way of doing those things. Like it didn't feel uh, respectful, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. But I guess that um, it's the way that Costa wanted to use Lady Spider. So yeah, cost is definitely set in the direction here, I think. Um, and yeah, actually, aside from like his sort of writing, though, I, I did notice with the with the colorists, they do Spider India's like, like they, do they do like skin lightning and stuff? Like it gets, it's not great for a few issues, is it? Yeah, it looks like that Spider India and uh, Mira Jane and uh, the rest of his dimension, like they're all fair skinned as opposed to uh, yeah. Right, like, it's it's not great. And I think somebody must have picked up on this. I don't know whether it was fans. I don't know if it was, like, internally at Marvel. Because I was reading through number five, and you can see, like, there's a visible difference between how they color. And I think even Anya suffers from it a bit as well. Um, because she's not she's not white, right? Like, so, um, they, 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 like, in number five, they actually color the, the characters differently. But, like, there's, a, there's, there's multiple panels where you can put Spider India side by side with the Spide person, another one of the spider people who is white and spider indy does not look that different like he does not look like he is an indian person um and um like that seems that seems really not great um and yeah like just just not the spider indy is not handled i think great in that regard at all i don't if that's all on the colorist or the editor or or whoever, but yeah. I, I think it might have been the colorist, because even during his um appearance in Spider-Verse, um, Spider-India was shown properly. Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 like, you compare this with his other appearances, and Spider-India doesn't have, like, like, these kinds of issues, but yeah, I, I do think that was really unfortunate, really not great way of, like, I just, like, I, this is an issue which comes up a lot, um, and, and there's, and it's, it's always, it's it's not a difficult one to like spot and keep on top of, but it it does it does come up a lot. I think with the coloring and Marvel comics, uh, DC comics, and sort of like sort of general comic publishing is is having like consistent skin tones for characters, especially if you have characters that that are generally like the only representation for that particular culture in the comic or even in the publisher's entire comic line. Um, then like you want to be on it with this kind of stuff. You want to be making sure that you you know you you treat those cultures in a respectful way and you have the the skin tones right and stuff but yeah it was yeah i felt, I felt bad for spider india and and in, in that in this yeah because there is no excuse for getting the colors wrong anymore um no one uses newsprint for comic books anymore yeah yeah it's 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 uh yeah no it's like we have the technology um it's not yeah, yeah it's not 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 yeah. a difficult thing to keep on top of yeah it's just like because remember the story of um why hulk went from gray to green Oh, was that a was that a printing thing as well? Yeah, it's because um they couldn't get the right shade of gray, well not fifty shades, but right they they couldn't get the right shade of gray for Hulk in the first issue. Sometimes he would appear green or just a totally different color. So that's why in his subsequent appearances they just made Hulk green because right. gray was a difficult thing to achieve back then. All right, today I learned. Today I learned. Yeah. Um. 
yeah, so we, we certainly don't have those sorts of problems anymore, especially not when Web Warriors is being printed. But yeah, no, I, I don't know if that was picked up on back at the time because it did look like they made a change while they were still publishing this. Um, but yeah, it was one of those things. I, still, I felt like we had to pick up on that. Like it, it was like there was no way of covering this without sort of mentioning the sort of issues with the, the coloring there. Yeah, but I feel like that that was a, a bit of a tangent than talking about the actual spiders. Um, let's see who else do we have here. Mayday. Yes, uh, Mayday uh, doesn't like again. I think like Billy is on the back burner here. She's, like she's stuck on Earth eight hundred three. Um, she has this whole thing where she's very keen to make to make sure she takes care of the electrodes. Though, like she's making these finger sandwiches, like eight hundred of them. Yeah, she makes eight hundred finger sandwiches in four hours. In four hours, right? Which is quick, right? That's a like if you put like the amount of finger sandwiches a minute, right? That's that's quick. Um, but yeah, anyway, she's she she's she's going to drop these off because these are the only things that can fit through the Faraday cage. The electrodes haven't eaten in days, um, and then they break out like moments before she gets there, so she doesn't deliver them properly. And I just felt bad that she spent all that time making finger sandwiches, which sounds like the the most boring, most mind numbing thing to create over and over again, hundreds of times, only for it to just fall flat and have the people she's trying to help nearly try and kill her. So. Yeah, that was that was a raw deal for Mayday there, I think. She's she's very much on the back burner this sort of arc, I think. I think it was because she was featured again so prominently in Electroverse that they just decided to um give her a back seat. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um yeah, she's um she did she did she did she sort of she does have this whole thing where she's like fighting the Electros for a long time. Like her, and then Billy as well, I guess, after a bit, as you're fighting hundreds of these very fatigued electros on their own until the reinforcements arrive and like halfway through issue number four, issue number four, sorry, um, the fourth issue of the arc, sorry. I guess her not feeding them properly worked to her advantage. Yeah, that's that's not a good lesson to learn. Feed your prisoners. Don't don't let prisoners starve. Don't don't do that. It's not a good that's not a good lesson. Um, but um, yeah, like there's this whole thing where like the electro is like semi zombified because like they're just that hungry. They're just so hungry they can't even zap properly. People can go up to a week without food. So I'm guessing has it been more than a week? I think. I mean, they say a few days. Um, so I'm, I like in my head, I pictured like, this is people after three days, four days of not eating. That was how I pictured it. Yeah. Cause I don't think the electros, you know, they can't drink anything because, well, cause I think people can go up to three days without water. Yeah. Yeah. That's, oh, that's another one. Oof. Oof. They had a raw deal, huh? Yeah. No, it's like, I like how the comic, like they, they set up this absolutely ridiculous, insane sounding plan to like stop the electros and then like spend a whole arc trying to look through the, you know, but would this be a practical, realistic thing to do? Um, and, and the answer is no, and it all goes wrong. And uh, yeah, like that's, that's a sort of, it's a sort of feels like a reply to the sort of first arc here with this, the second one. They're just a lot of the, a lot of it's just sort of covering ground that they'd done before, but like, in a competent way yeah yeah it really does seem like that may got another short of the, of the stick here yeah yeah somebody give mayday parker a break because she needs she needs it she's grieving uncle ben now i guess revisit earth 982 yeah that'd be nice that'd be cool even though that um mayday gets featured again during the spider get and tie in spider girls um true it's only just for three issues yeah yeah, that was, that was a quick one. It was a nice team, though. Yeah, Mayday, Anya, and Annie. 
Mm. Yeah, they should they should use those characters more. Um, yeah. Uh, so who else have we got? A bit of a Spider Ham twenty ninety nine. There's not much of him to say other than um, he can fly. Yeah, he can. He can. Yeah, I don't. Can Spider Man twenty ninety nine do that? Um, I think he only glides, but I'm not sure. I'm gonna look up Miguel's power set. Yeah, because um, it makes sense for Spider Ham twenty ninety nine to do it because he's a cartoon. Yeah, absolutely. But remember how Gwen was like, "My life is so stupid." When um, she was piggybacking. I thought it was great, like a literal piggyback, like like literally flew Gwen to the scene, and there's this big panel of Gwen riding the back of Spider-Ham 2099 while he flies her to the fight and yeah it was great it was really funny but I feel like the um did Ham 2099 just suddenly drop off after um Octavia retrieved Gwen um yeah he doesn't show up in the last sort of fighting so maybe he did maybe he's just there in the background like I feel like he could exist in the background and it wouldn't break anything Oh, um, here, Miguel can't fly, but his suit allows him to glide. Interesting. Maybe that was it. But either way, Spider-Ham 2099 is, yeah, the cartoon pigs are real powerful, and this very powerful pigs. Yeah, it's cartoon physics again, you know, because, you know, um, Looney Tunes logic. For real. For real. Who's next? Uh, Uncle, Uncle Ben. ben. Uncle Ben. <laughs> the one alive Uncle Ben we had. <laughs> Unfortunately is dead um so yeah uh the this sort of, he's, he's he was doing his whole thing where he's he's baby sitting being the uncle step uncle for uh benji parker uh mayday parker's younger sibling yeah younger brother yeah younger brother right baby brother right um like he's he's sort of helping out with looking after the baby and he's um yeah like he's sort of finally living out a nice sort of quiet life and they call him in and then he has this idea right in the middle of the fight to take on the battery by literally having to sacrifice himself and i think it's a really it's a clever plan and it's a very good payoff to something that was set up in the last arc where there's this headset that the battery used to sort of create himself that you can that that because uncle ben's sort of consciousness was so different and so much more powerful uh than the the sort of the electro sort of lack of consciences that they were able to sort of like you know bring it bring it on side you know like the battery at the end of this is a sort of non-evil entity because of uncle ben's sacrifice here and yeah no, i felt bad for uncle ben um yeah like the one alive uncle ben sacrifices himself yes uh very sad anyway oh, I'm, I'm now i just sound like loki when i did that okay yeah <laughs> yeah, but um, but at the end, didn't the battery say that he's uh, he's gonna release Uncle Ben before sending everyone back home? Um, he did. I missed this. Yeah, the battery was like, uh, "We will release him and then send everyone home." But mark my words, we'll release our hold on this robotic behemoth. It's talking about the Mecha, the Spider Mecha. Uh, not Ben, but I think Ben is quite firmly lost to the battery. So I guess he's part of the battery now, and his body's just brain dead. Yeah, like his his like the Ben as we knew him is gone, but like a bit of him now is part of the battery now, basically. Like so, if we ever see the battery again, that's got a bit of a spider powered Uncle Ben inside of it. I guess that um he could just come up with the same plan to transfer his consciousness back into his body since uh. 
Ben's not really clinically dead. He's just brain dead. Yeah, no, I hear that. But then, like, I, I assume after a few minutes, he would also be dead dead as well, right? Like, brains don't last long. I just like to think of, as far as I'm concerned, he's um he's just comatose. That's fair. That's fair. I just, I, I think, I think the the impression we're supposed to come away with is that that process isn't reversible. That was what I got from that. Yes, like, uh, yeah, such a sad thing for to happen to Uncle Ben. We finally got one who has superpowers, and then he's just. Yeah, yeah. Comic writers have a type that they like to kill off. It's Uncle Ben and Gwen Stacy a lot of the time as well. So, um, yeah, poor, poor guy. Um, yeah. What else do we have here? We have got um, Harry Osborn. Okay, Harry Osborn twenty two ninety one six. All right. Yeah, that's um, yeah, that's the Earth that they designated him from. Yeah. So, uh, so there's a lot of details about like this Harry Osborn that we didn't get into, like the synopsis and stuff. So, like, um, he he gives a huge amount of exposition for this small amount of time he's on panel, basically that he is the son of Norman Osborn, the Green Goblin, who gave him goblin powers and made him a goblin person. Um, and he has to wear a rubber, rubber skin suit basically around everywhere to make him look human, which of course slowly deteriorates over the course of the comic. And he also gets spider powers separately from being a Green Goblin kid. He gets bitten by a, a spider, so he's a spider totem as well. And yeah, like there's a moment where you think he's going to get fed on by Khan, and you're like, oh, Khan's finally going to eat. But doesn't happen. But yeah, he's just uh, he's just sort of a wild card, really. He's just sort of in this to like try and destroy everything, which he does unsuccessfully. He's stopped by Spiderham, so he was a real threat for a moment, though. Well, he was finally defeated by Spiderham, but it was really uh, Gwen and Punk uh, that got to him first. Okay, yeah, that's fair. I hear that. I hear that. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was. He was. I. I really feel like he. He deserved more time to breathe as a villain. Like didn't. Didn't get enough of him really to warrant that amount of exposition and that amount of like consequence to the story. Really. I feel like um since it's late at the story that uh, he was introduced, he's probably not as so much a villain. He's more like, you know, a nuisance in the way of repairing the web. Yeah. Yeah. It's um. Yeah, he's just the last obstacle. Yeah, he's 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 yeah, he's just another sort of one of several different villain things they encounter that they have to sort of get through. Yeah, you're right on that, I guess. Yeah, aren't all Osborns like this? They're they're obstacles. I feel bad for the Osborns. We don't have a lot of good ones. Um, yeah, yeah, there's a shortage of good Osborns, you know. Yeah, I think the only good Osborn is like some Harrys. Yeah, some Harrys get away with it. They avoid the Osborn curse, I guess. No, I think the Osborne curse is having what is with that that hair. Oh yeah. Um it's it's something. They should try doing some stuff with it. I'm sure if I'm sure if they tried stuff they could they could have a good looking haircut, maybe at some point. Uh, so I don't think it's bad hair in of itself. No, I think the only Osborne men who don't have the hairstyle are Normie six one six, Stanley, and Gabriel. Fair. Fair, I hear that. I hear that. Although, you know, Gabriel is a Stacy, what but would you also call him an Osborne? I I I try very hard not to think about those two kids. Oh, oh <laughs> no, they're they're not well, they're not Norman and Gwen's children in the conventional sense. That's fair, but that's also a recent revelation as well. Yeah, I, I just try very hard not to think about what's going on with them, but yeah, I, I hear that, I hear that. But anyway, yeah, in the end, yeah, this Harry Osborne is just like, yeah, a bad dude. Yeah, not great, not great. 
Um, did we want to wrap up our thoughts on the Costa Web Warriors comics? Do we want to give our final spiels? Sure. I think um, I'll let you go first. Yeah. Um, I like these comics uh, as sort of like fun, lighter stuff to read with Gwen in. We have a lot of very like heavy emotional stuff with Gwen in, which I love and I love Gwen for that, but it's nice to sort of just see her like just out vibing. Um, and you get a lot of that here and you get a lot of like just fun spider interactions. Um, the Web Warriors comics aren't ashamed of what they are, which is very camp interdimensional spider action. And it's fun on that basis. I enjoy that. I enjoy these comics and I'm sad that they didn't go for longer. Yeah, I also like the Web Warriors when I got the opportunity to read it because, you know, it's fun, it's campy, it's got all of these ensemble of different characters who at first they might seem dysfunctional, but they really do work well as a team together. It's kind of like a Legends of Tomorrow on the CW, that sort of aspect, campy at first, but then it's time to get serious down the line. Right, right. Yeah, it's, um, I like that aspect of it, yeah. Yeah, and I also like the David Baldeon's art in this because it's fun. It matches the whole campy tune. Real, so fun. And uh, yeah, we get to see more of David Baldeon if any of y'all are interested in Ben Riley for uh, January's Ben Riley Spider Man mini. Yeah, um, is that is that the next thing he's worked on after X Factor? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I know that would be cool. Oh, he's looking like a nineties nineties Ben Riley's. Yeah, see how he tackles that mm -hmm. so uh should we get into what we're doing next episode yeah i think it's uh time that we wrap all of this up yeah i think it's time for me to sleep um so next episode okay uh we've done the web warriors comics they're done we're moving on to the next bit of the sort of the side spider gwen appearances and the next major chronological thing that gwen is in is the clone conspiracy event that occurred in the amazing spider-man comics um we're looking at two different titles um I, I think we're also gonna do a bit of maybe maybe a couple of others that, that sort of touches on but the two main titles we're looking at are clone conspiracy and amazing spider-man like those are the two titles that we're looking at so it's um amazing spider-man 2015 yeah yeah issues uh 20 to 22 and clone conspiracy one to three that's what we're looking at for our first episode of two we're doing two clone conspiracy episodes yeah two parts of clone conspiracy yes yes yeah, we're looking at for our first episode of of two um and they sort of they alternate so it's like clone conspiracy one amazing spider-man 20 clone conspiracy two amazing spider-man 22 etc etc like that's sort of how it goes um clone conspiracy is an interesting event there is a lot of Gwen Stacy, uh, including Spider-Gwen, but also a clone of uh, Gwen 616. There's a lot of Peter Parker. There's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of things about clones that we can get into. But overall, actually, I like Spider-Gwen in the Clone Conspiracy. I don't necessarily like the Clone Conspiracy, but I like Spider-Gwen in it. And we're going to get into it um, and look at sort of her role in that. Um, Dan Slott's writing, excellent art by... Um, it's uh, Jim Chung who's doing the main event, and then Giuseppe Kemencoli is doing the ASM tie-ins. By those artists. 
and uh yeah it's uh it's going to be good so join us read those issues of clone conspiracy uh, an amazing spider-man and send in your thoughts about what it, what you thought about it and we'll discuss those on the episode uh next time uh follow us at gs groupies email us at ghost groupies at gmail.com and uh, support us on ko-fi if you'd like to help pay uh for the podbean subscription um thank you everybody i've been pax And I've been Abigail. All right, bye. Bye.